Welcome to the Percussion Studio Podcast. We will be visiting with various percussion performers, educators, manufacturers, and publishers. Stay tuned to K. Wiley Publications for future podcast interviews and more information. Now, welcome our host, Kenan Wiley, and this edition of the Percussion Studio Podcast. Hello, welcome everyone to Percussion Studio Podcast episode number six. We are glad that you have chosen to listen to us and uh, we hope we can offer something new and fresh to you. A reminder that uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, any of those platforms. Kind of find out when we have a, a new a new podcast about to be updated and uh, just kind of for any kind of information concerning that and other products, you know, just kind of follow K Wally publications and we'd be glad to, to listen to what you have to say and uh, uh, make improvements or, you know, tell us we're doing a good job or whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Today's guest is none other than a very well-known educator as well as performer and adjudicator. Um, I'm very excited to have him on the show. He's been extremely busy, and we were so able to get him in here and just uh, to, to kind of share a little of his thoughts with you. So let's welcome to this show. Everybody give a big round of applause to Mr. Jeff Osdemore, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks, Kenan. I appreciate the, the intro. <laughs> How you doing, sir? How's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. How are things for you this summer? Oh, it's pretty warm here. I'm in the south, the great south south state of Texas down here. And um, we are having some heat, but yeah, it's what we have every summer, so it's not a big deal. I know you've been yeah. traveling a lot. You said you've been in and out. Kind of tell us what you've been doing this summer. Yes, sir. So I've been traveling quite a bit for Drone Corps International and uh, I just arrived in the great state of Texas about 90 minutes ago, and I'll be here for about uh, 16 more hours, then I'm off to the Midwest again. So our timing is perfect. Wow. Most of what I've been doing this summer is uh, adjudication, like I said, for DCI, but I've also had a few different clinics and camps that I've been able to participate in, and they've been a great time. Uh, New Mexico, Texas, uh, one on the East Coast as well. So we're having a good time, and uh, and. So keeping busy for sure. The uh, the drum corps season has about two more weeks to it, and then I will be back uh, full time once more here in the fall. In which time, of course, marching band, judging, and clinics kick in. <laughs> wow, wow! Yeah, I'm just it's like it never stops for you. <laughs> Tis the exactly. season. Exactly. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I wanted I wanted to get into asking you some questions about uh, about drum corps because we've not really had anybody on the show that's we, we we haven't spent a lot of time talking about that and I, I i wanted to kind of save some questions for you but we'll get to that in in, in later in, into the show but i wanted to ask you if you kind of would i mean we have all kinds of listeners we have students we have performers we have educators we have all kinds of people that listen to the podcast and and so i'm sure that some of those people know who you are some people may not i wanted to see if you could give us a little background of kind of where you started, um, where you went to school, just kind of give us the Jeff Osdemore bio here, if you would. Sure. I'd be happy to, Kenan. Well, uh, it's funny that your 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 background on the listeners is actually a, a big part of who I am as a musician. So I definitely don't fit the mold in any certain category. So you'll probably kind of realize that as I go through my, my crazy bio. So I was born in Germany, but I consider myself uh, American. I was a dual citizen, and uh, I, I consider myself from Michigan, 
because that's where I went to middle school and high school. And I came from a very, very strong band program in a little town called Grand Ledge. Grand Ledge has a, or had at that time, a head band director by the name of Michael Kaufman. And Mr. Kaufman introduced us to fantastic literature, what I always refer to as warhorse literature. So doing lots and lots of Husa and Holst and all, all kinds of great literature, collegiate literature. And we worked really hard at it. So we were always there before school and sectionals working hard. But that was in the concert side, and uh, we did not have a competitive marching band. I think uh, I was telling some of my colleagues last night at dinner in Salt Lake uh, this same story. I remember very vividly in high school, I, I remember rehearsing a couple nights after school in the fall just to figure out where we were going to stand on the field and play Hey Baby for the students. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the extent of my marching band experience. And I love telling the, the following story, and this is what got me hooked into drum corps activity. Um, because I'm a pianist, my mother's a very talented musician. I started playing piano when I was very, very young, and I was, I was just drawn to the instrument. I, I tried out for the percussion section and, uh, and enjoyed it. And I was, I was a fairly strong player, uh, but we had a gentleman in our, in our percussion section by the name of Brad. And Brad was, was always gravitating towards the uh, the bottom of the section and uh, always struggled with his hands and had good musical instinct instincts but he could never really execute them well fast forward to the end of my eighth grade year i was going into ninth grade and brad came into the the band hall and he said jeff you need to listen to this i said oh i got all excited and he said come with me so we went into a practice room and he opened up his his bag and he pulled out a little tape player and he pressed play and he started playing along with these sounds I'd never heard. It was all brass. And he was playing things, Kenan, that I had never seen before. He was playing rolls and slams and this technical vocabulary that was flowing out of his hand. And I just couldn't believe my eyes. And he said, here's the best part. And I said, what's that? And he said, hold out your hand. And I said, okay. So I held out my hand, and he played a roll on my hand. <laughs> and I said, oh, my gosh, how are you able to do that, you know? And, and I said right there in that very moment, I said, whatever you just did with your summer, I want to do it too. Yeah. And he said, well, you need to come up with me and audition. There's a drum corps here in Michigan called the Northern Aurora. And I went up to Northern Aurora and I carpooled up with a bunch of other um, college students and a couple high school students. And I just had my complete world opened up. It, it, the way that those students were receiving information, both written and then orally, and just that the way that they're processing information and the sound quality and the consistency of what they're able to play on keyboards and drums was completely foreign to me. So I had all this intellectual, uh, these intellectual gifts because I was well-trained as a pianist. So I had musical background. I didn't have any mechanical background. I didn't have any training in the physiology. So I was there, and I was just excited and blown away. And, and for some reason, they took a chance on me and, and let me participate. So I, I played snare drum in the Northern Aurora, and uh, that allowed me to tour and see other groups. And, uh, and at some point in that summer, I saw the Cavaliers. And so I decided that next year uh, to audition for the Cavaliers. So I ended up uh, playing for the, the Cavaliers Drum and Bugle Corps and learned a lot in that experience. And, uh, and so that definitely, uh, was kind of the start of the marching end for me, but all the while, Kenan, to speak to all the, the varied types of listeners you have on your show here, 
the whole time I've always been one that's been trying to improve on my weaknesses. So even though that my hands were getting stronger and stronger, I wanted my reading abilities to get stronger. So I saw that my, my snare drum hands were getting stronger. So I would dive more deeply into marimba literature and sight reading and so on and so forth. So I was, I was attending Michigan State University and I uh, was having a very good experience there and uh, purchasing the marching band and the percussion studio. And uh, at that time, Michigan State's percussion studio was not very strong. It is very, very strong right now with John Weber and, uh, and, and, uh, and Gwen. They're, they're just fantastic uh, teachers in that studio. I believe they just won Call for Tapes a couple years ago. Very, very strong studio but at that time it was not so I ended up auditioning uh, for the University of North Texas and uh, auditioned for North Texas and uh, moved across the country and I uh, got in and met a whole world of musicians that would change my life uh, from a from various points of view different perspective players and friendships and where their backgrounds uh, um, come from so that was really important for me and I was having a great experience at the University of North Texas, and I was about to graduate. And I was a senior at the University of North Texas. This is 1995. And uh, all the while, I had been playing drum set. And when I was back for breaks, uh, Christmas breaks, holidays, summer breaks, I was recording albums for a couple different bands back in Michigan. Well, one of those bands uh, got bigger and bigger and got signed to a record deal and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And they asked me to reconsider joining the band. And uh, I, I told them I appreciated it, but I was deep into the spring semester of my senior year at North Texas, and I had different plans. And, uh, and they said, well, just do me a favor. Just go buy the record. Just go to Target and, and buy the record and tell us if you like it. So I promised them that I would. So I drove to uh, the Target there off Golden Triangle Boulevard there in Denton, USA, and bought the record. And I just fell in love with the record and the harmonies and the songwriting. So I went to my teachers at North Texas and I said, I have this opportunity to, to move to Nashville and audition for this band. Long, long story short, uh, I was able to, um, to get all of my, my money back because I had, quote, uh, a rare professional opportunity afforded to me. So I went and talked to um, all of my teachers at North Texas. They were very understanding, very supportive. And I packed up in the middle of the springtime of my senior year and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And at that point, we started making our next record. We started touring um, throughout North America and Asia and had some, some wonderful success on the radio. I think we ended up with three number one hits in contemporary Christian radio. So that was a wild ride. And uh, so that ended. We had a five-year, five-record uh, deal with Benson Records. And uh, we ended that a little bit early. And I was there in Nashville, and I knew that I needed to finish my undergraduate degree. So I finished up at Belmont University and had a wonderful experience there and uh, started looking for graduate school. And graduate school, I started narrowing down to different places, looked at Eastman and Oberlin and Juilliard and so on and so forth. And uh, I wanted a very different perspective than the very, very strong percussion um, philosophy that North Texas afforded me. So I found the next best thing. I was looking at Eastman. I found a fantastic, fantastic person and musician uh, by the name of Fred Bugby. And uh, Dr. Bugby was finishing his doctorate at Eastman. 
and he was teaching at New Mexico State University. So I auditioned for the faculty at New Mexico State and took that assistantship and completely opened me up in a very, very uh, 20th century myopic way, if you will. That's, that's uh, Dr. Bugsy's strength is 20th century music and as a fantastic timpanist as well, studying with John Beck. And uh, that was a really formative part of my life there uh, in graduate school. So finishing up in graduate school, I was looking for my first job. And uh, my first job was the University of Texas at Arlington, where I was to succeed the great Kenan Wiley, if you've ever heard of him. So that was (laughs) – so I know you taught there uh, for a long time and did a great job. And so it was fun to – to, uh, to also pitch in and teach at that school um, for a while and enjoyed it. And at that time, uh, the Colleyville Heritage High School job opened up as the, uh, the percussion director. So I took that job when that opened up. I'd always wanted, uh, I'd always wanted my own percussion program. And uh, you can certainly remember, I, uh, you are so gracious, and you afforded me so many uh, late-night phone calls uh, when I was taking that job, because I had so many questions, I still do, Kenan. So uh, <laughs> I had so many questions about uh, how to formulate uh, my my program, and and just like many, many, many others in the state of Texas and probably throughout the country, um, patterned our high school percussion program um, after the juggernaut that is Marcus High School. And so you were very gracious and helping me kind of transition into that high school percussion director role. And so I was at I was at Colleyville Heritage High School uh, all the way up until the last four years, and uh, and I'm now in my current role as the director of music for I University Prep, and I University Prep is a wonderful virtual academy uh, within Grapevine Colleyville uh, Public Schools, and so it's a very strong environment, probably the strongest faculty I've ever taught with, and uh, I'm enjoying my fifth year here, uh, starting any day now. So that's the uh, that's kind of the uh, thumbnail version, although it probably didn't feel like it to you. It no, took no. a while to well, tell. So when did you when did you kind of get interested into adjudicating, like for your oh. with your drum corps stuff? Yes, sir. Well, my my early days when I marched drum and bugle corps was 1988 and 1989, and uh, I I had that experience. And I kind of wanted to get away from it um, as a performer, although I had uh, three or four more years before I aged out. Those of you that don't know much about drum corps, uh, you age out when you hit uh, 22. And uh, so I had a few years left, but I was a little bit more interested in doing other things, doing some classical festivals and, and, uh, and teaching. Uh, so I ended up teaching a little bit of, uh, at Northern Aurora. Then I taught another group in Ohio called Limited Edition. And when I showed up at the University of North Texas, I met someone by the name of Jeff Prospery. And Jeff Prosperi, and Jeff Prosperi invited me to come up with him and uh, help him audition and teach the Phantom Regiment. And originally, I was actually auditioning and teaching the front ensemble, having a great time uh, teaching the front ensemble. And, and uh, there was a little bit of a shift in the staff at that time, and he asked me if I might take the snare drums. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to teach the snare drums. So I taught the Phantom Regiment in 1993, and I, and I realized that I, I really liked I really liked teaching more than, than I thought. And I enjoy performing still, but, but I really liked teaching. So I always kind of thought that there would be a component of me that would like to give back to the drum corps world. Well, fast forward through all the craziness of my drum corps career in Nashville and being a studio uh, musician in Nashville uh, for a brief time before graduate school, I, I knew that I had a bit of a gift to articulate some concepts 
um, as a teacher that I thought might be helpful as a judge. So uh, in the in the fall of 2004, in graduate school, I was I was starting to help out the Blue Knights, and I was a consultant, and I was just helping them out from a front ensemble perspective, and my role got bigger and bigger, and I believe I took over Blue Knights in 2006. So as the arranger and the caption head uh, of the Blue Knights, um, that was 2006 to 2010, I believe it was. Uh, and, uh, and I had some great conversations with some of the upper administrative folks uh, in DCI, and a couple of them encouraged me um, to judge when I was finished as a caption head. And I told them that I would, I would certainly consider that was an honor for me, for sure. A lot of uh, my heroes have, have passed through the ranks of the adjudication uh, process in Drum and Jubal Corps. And so I thought I would certainly take, a, take a, uh, some time to think about it. So that next year, uh, my now wife and I took a long, long trip to Europe and kind of did some soul searching. And, and I came back the next year and told DCI that I certainly would. And so... That next summer, Canon, I, uh, I, I did a half of a summer. I was teaching at the Interlock and Arts Academy for the first half of the summer with Keith Aleo. And that second half, I, I trialed and then finished out the rest of the summer and uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. So I would say that I'm probably in my fourth year of judging for DCI and my, my second, I just finished my second year judging for WGI as well, Winter Guard International. Yeah, I was just about to say you're you're involved quite heavily in the WGI, which, man, for our listeners, I don't want <laughs> I don't want I don't want to go over our listeners' heads here, but just so everybody knows, DCI is Drum Corps Internationals, uh, which is features. Do you want to tell them the difference? You're the pro here, Jeff. Why don't you tell them the difference between DCI and WGI? Yes, sir. Uh, like you said, Ken, and DCI stands for Drum Corps International, and the way I explain it to the layman. Uh, is that it's like marching band, uh, but the uh, performers are incredibly talented and they're a little bit older. So the, the oldest you can be in Drum Corps International is 22 years old, and there's a, a wonderful mix of brass instruments, percussion instruments, and then, of course, the color guard, whereas WGI, which stands for Winter Guard International, and the, from a percussion side of things, uh, that is only percussion instruments. So you have two major divisions. You have the marching division in WGI, where you have the front ensemble, all the keyboards and auxiliary instruments with the marching batteries behind them. And then, of course, you have the concert classification, which is open to any type of percussion instrumentation. But typically, it's more uh, traditional percussion ensemble uh, in terms of the instrumentation, marimba, all the keyboards and, and uh, so on and so forth, along with the auxiliary instruments. So the big difference is that Drum Corps International is a, a total ensemble between percussion and brass instruments. And WGI, the two classifications that have to do with percussion only, have no wins at all. It's just percussion in a concert or marching class. Um, although I will say just very quickly for my wins uh, friends, there is a new classification within WGI that is essentially indoor marching bands. You have woodwinds, brass, and percussion, and they have the same performance venue as the percussion within WGI, which is a gymnasium or arena. So drum corps tends to be outside for a lot of the shows, 
um, unless it's a major regional like we just had this past weekend in the Alamo Dome in, in uh, San Antonio or perhaps in Atlanta. And then uh, world championships are held in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. So we could probably have 20 separate podcast just on WCI. <laughs> right <laughs> and probably right. 20 or 30 just on DCI if, if we, if we mm. really wanted to go that way so we're kind of we're covering the basics here but I yes, did sir. I did have a question for you per, this is a personal question from the host of the show sure. I actually attended a a DCI show uh, within the last couple of days and I remember as I was sitting there I was thinking um you know, it's, it's this year that they have done some, which I consider um, some, I don't know if it's radical, but they have definitely changed the judging system up as far as the percussion goes. If you know where I'm going with this, um, yes, they used to have, they, you know, you're going to have to help me out here because I'm going to sound like a total idiot because I'm not <laughs> as, as, as versed as I should be in this. But I think, I think that we used to have one in the box and we had one on the floor. Is that correct? When I say on the floor, yes, in, that, the, in the in the midst of the performers following them around on the field, that's correct. Now we've seen several iterations of the percussion system, Kenneth, and you alluded to um, the two uh, the two judge system where you're exactly right. You had percussion one, which would be up top, listening to the totality of the ensemble from a blend perspective, from a composite rhythm perspective, and a textural perspective to see how it works and interacts with the brass score. Um, and, and that was, that was experimented with and used at larger shows, smaller shows might've used one judge. Um, one thing I will say about DCI and I will, I will come back to where we are today in 2016. One thing about drum corps international and for certain WGI is that they are incredibly organic, living, breathing, evolving systems of adjudication completely. And I want to, I want to really underscore this for your listeners completely based on what the individual performing units want. It has zero to do with what the judges want or what's most convenient for the judges. It is 100% based on what they call the rules and systems task force. There's all kinds of committees and folks that really shape what is going to be best to reward the performers and the team, not the judges. So to circle back with your initial point, yes, there were definitely um, points and years where we had the two-judge system, depending on the, the how large the show was. Like, for instance, um, at the Alamo Dome I referenced earlier, at the Super Regional, um, I, I had the privilege of either being up top or most of the time I was down low on the field adjudicating uh, the performers on the field. And then, of course, the person up top uh, is taking the perspective of how it relates to everything from a huge, huge distance away from the field. And this year, and this is, I think, where your first point was, this year, uh, this is a first in DCI history where the field judges, myself, um, I primarily do what's called music field percussion, and then the visual proficiency judge and the brass judge, all three judges on the field um, have been given parameters by which we need to follow. And that is six feet onto the field only, now, laterally, we can go from side one to side two as much as we like, but we may only enter the field six feet. And so that was brought up um, by, and it was voted uh, unanim unanimously um, by this uh, task force, by the core directors, 
And, uh, and I think they're evaluating it as we speak and there will be further discussion because I know that it is a very, very uh, hot topic right now among not only the judges, but certainly the performers and the, uh, and the instructors as to the, as to the effectiveness of this new rule. So I just finished my first uh, handful of shows uh, this summer with that new stipulation. And I can tell you from my perspective, it is, very, very different. Yeah. Very different. This is where I was, this is where I was going. I mean, I don't want to, I may be open the can of worms on this podcast and I don't mean to be open, but here's what I was thinking when I watched it. I was like, well, I mean, I'm sure maybe I'm pointing out the obvious and maybe, you know, it is what it is. And and maybe I don't, I'm just going to tell you what this host thought when I was watching it. It's like, I, you know, obviously you're going to get samplings of the group when they're in your zone, but if you can't get to where they are, your sampling becomes less of what you can because you can't, there's some things you can't hear in your, where you're at. And, and I just, I, I mean, I'm just wondering if people are concerned about, you know, the execution and from certain groups is not being rewarded or is not being uh, observed in the manner that they want it to be observed or, (laughs) you know, that's right. It seems like it's a slippery slope because it's hard to call a roll dirty when you're on the 40 and they're on the other side of the field in the back. (laughs) Like, you know, well, from where I was, it sounded dirty, but it really wasn't from where they were. And I just, I guess I'm asking you, and I know this is is really new and I I don't you probably don't want to say too much but I I just was when I was listening to this I was like wow that is that's a different concept now I will tell you from another uh, a positive of this is that it seems like where you could be you could give instead of being out in the middle of the field sometimes you can give credit for 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 some things from side to side that maybe you couldn't really hear if you were standing mm-hmm. in the middle of the field so I do think that there's there are pluses to that. Like you, you can probably give some some reward for these, you know, for, for things that are, you know, substantially difficult that maybe you couldn't notice if you're in the middle of the field. And so yeah. I think there's a give and take on it. But you know, I, I've just wanted to ask what you thought about it because I I don't I don't know what I think about it, and I'm sure that there's some hot. Sp- opinions flying around (laughs) as we speak. Uh, But, but um, now I wanted to ask you another question. Do they ever have you go up further into the box? I mean, is it, is it usually the other percussion judge down in that area or, or both of them ever up top? Um, We're having just a little bit of a, a reception issue. So I think what you just asked me is, do I ever leave that zone or does the other percussion judge come down? Is that what you asked, Kenneth? No, I was asking if both of you are up at all. I mean, do you ever oh, go oh. up? No, sir, not this year. So okay. if that is to be a change, they will vote on that ahead of time and they will enact some sort of rule change. We will know about that well in advance and we'll be trained on it, so on and so forth. This year, it is one percussion judge and one percussion judge only with the parameters that you talked about earlier. And, uh, and yeah, unfortunately, I think my uh, I think my my professionalism would probably prevent me from really weighing in personally. But I would I think that you said it best, which is it's a very slippery slope because there are advantages um, inherently built in that we haven't seen before, and then of course there are certainly disadvantages um, in terms of all of the logistical 
um, scenarios that you threw out earlier, just not having the, the ability to, to follow them in the, say, the 70%, 80% of the show that we are not able to sample them. So yeah. I think one of the things that I need to, um, I need to continue to remind myself and all of my colleagues is that with any change of system, we all need to stay open-minded and we need to live through it. And we all need to give it our best open-minded, positive shot. And then after the season, really, really uh, collect our thoughts and then do a debrief and find out, well, what was better about this and what struggles did we still have? And then move forward after we report back. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the judges can certainly provide our, our feedback and our perspective, but it has to always be, and it is, it is always about what do the instructors and drum corps directors uh, feel is going to best serve their students. And then the judges are simply servants of the system. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, um, not to go off on a quick little soapbox here, but one thing that, um, and we are very diligent about not being on social media or, um, or exposing our opinions, especially during the competitive season, um, but one thing that is really difficult uh, for me personally to bite my lip is when um, the the really, really strong opinions on social media start to either indirectly insinuate or absolutely openly complain that the judges are doing this or the judges are doing that. When in fact, if I, if, if, if I could just leave your listeners with one thing, those that are really into the marching pageantry arts, is that the judges are simply servants to whatever the drum corps directors and the, the uh, instructors feel is best for their students. So all those committees on all those rule systems task force forces uh, committees, those are all comprised of active instructors and uh, drum corps directors. And once everything is decided and the dust falls, then it's passed to the judges. And then we are trained in whichever system they feel is best. So um, it is definitely, uh, it is a, a very, very interesting year from our perspective because we have been trained in a very different way to evaluate the groups. And also from a design perspective, Ken, you probably notice that the way that uh, the battery section of the drum corps are coming up front yeah. is, uh, is different than it has been in the past because they know that that's the only real opportunity for us to sample with any type of specificity. Yes, yes, I did notice that, and that's probably, <laughs> yeah, it's probably, I mean, I kind of was thinking the same thing, but it's it's real interesting, and, and I'm so glad that that you got to be on this podcast, because I just, it was, you articulated everything so well, <laughs> and it makes so much sense, and I'm sure we have some, a lot of listeners that are, that are in the, in the field of this, this art, and, and, and let me tell you, on a positive thing, wow, can these guys play or what? <laughs> Oh my God. It yes. is just amazing. <laughs> the level of playing, you know, it's just, yes. it, it just is, it's nuts, man. I mean, these, yeah. these guys and girls and man, it is just insane. <laughs> Isn't it? If, yeah. If you got, if, if you're a listener out here and you have not watched a drum corps show live, you really owe it to yourself to go and, and just, yes. just plan it there and watch. It's just, <laughs> it is, it is simply amazing. And, and no, no, no matter how many years I get to be older, it never ceases to amaze me. It's just, it's just the level of 
of of teaching, of playing, of writing is oh, just yeah. just insane. <laughs> it's just some of the stuff yeah. I heard, I was like, wow, that's that's just so brilliant how some of these people think of stuff. And right. I was just like amazed, amazed. Hey, I wanted to ask you one other question. This is totally off the topic of, of drum corps. But yeah. you know, we had um uh, a couple of, of guys on the podcast and, and, and it's really interesting. And you are a, a, almost a textbook example of, of what I'm going to talk about or bring up. And that is that, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to this and, you know, some are, are high school kids, maybe some are college or instructors, but mm-hmm. everybody, a lot of these people, their percussion is their passion and they want to do something for, they want to make it their life. They want to do something, but they don't know if they want to be a band director. They don't know if they want to be a percussion instructor. They don't know if they want to be a player. They're not really sure what they want to do, but what mm-hmm. what I've learned and hopefully the listeners are learning is that, you know, you could kind of create your own job in this, yeah. in this world, you yeah. know, you really, I mean, it's just, can you, you want to add to that? Like, like you are a good example. You, you teach, you, you, you adjudicate, you probably do some writing on the side. I mean, you, you're doing so mm-hmm. many different things to, to make a living at what you love to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a great point, Kenan. And I would say that now in 2019, more so than ever. So when you and I were coming up um, in high school there were only a few things that you could probably wrap your brain around saying, well, I, do I want to be a band director or do I want to teach drums and, and see if I can try to make that uh, into a living or, or maybe I want to be involved in, in music somehow, but I, I don't know if there's a, a career path that's for me. In 2019, there are myriad choices, especially because music education in, in the state of Texas uh, is its own beast. It's its own animal. I find myself when I'm, um, out judging with uh, my colleagues from around the country. A lot of times the, the conversation always ends up turning to Texas for sure. They want, everyone likes to know how Texas set up, is set up in terms of music education. And that's certainly its own podcast because <laughs> yes. that's a very complicated history. But the bottom line is that for all of the, our faults, there's nothing like music education in the state of Texas. And right now with the advent of assistant percussion directors and um, and benefits and salaries and, and, and part-time this, and then the writing and the consulting. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. The number one piece of advice I've given my students and their parents over the years is simply this. Do not feel like you have to decide right away. I think that's a really, really, really common trap that students feel that they have to do right away. So here's little Susie, and she's a junior and she's going into her senior year, and she's feeling like, well, I, I like music, or I, I like engineering. I, I need to decide what I'm going to do before I make a choice in a school because the rest of my life depends on this decision. Well, I'm here to tell everyone that is absolutely not the case. Studies have shown and trends have shown that in our parents' generation, we, they typically had five or eight jobs and about one or two careers in their life. And then in my generation, and certainly the generation in front of me, it is wildly exponentially more. So you'll have maybe 30 or 50 little jobs, but you'll actually have probably 10 or 20 careers by the time it's all said and done because our, our world is so much more fluid. So to kind of circle back to your, 
your initial question, Kenan, I would say, number one, don't think that you have to have it all figured out. If you have a love and a passion for music, but you don't know what it's going to be, I want to be the first to say that is okay. Just surround yourself with people that are as like-minded as possible. Put yourself in an, in an environment that is, is positive and has as many opportunities because you don't necessarily know where your life is going to go. I know, just speaking for myself, I have a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do, but my life is, is different and even better than I imagined when I was a kid. So I couldn't have even predicted half of the things that I do for a living now. So you mentioned writing music as a composer and as a ranger and, and having endorsements, that kind of a thing. You can't even predict those things. So don't think that you should necessarily uh, pin yourself down into a, a track of, well, I, I'm going to do this, and therefore all my decisions are going to be based. I would say with – again, I'm going to try to stay a little bit on point instead of going off the deep end here, but in terms of student debt and going to the, quote, right school, I would make that my last priority. I would go to a school that you can afford, that you're going to be challenged, that are positive people around you, your, your instructors are positive, and then keep your mind open as far as what, you're, what you'd like to do because you may not discover what you're passionate about until you're halfway through college or even, or even more specifically, even after you're through college and you've taken your first job or two, then it could, the path could reveal itself later on. So don't put pressure on yourself to figure it out now. Be exposed to everything you can or expose yourself to everything you can. And then, of course, take it all in and try to participate in as many experiences as possible. If you're a marimba jock and all you want to do is play Eric Samu or Merlin, good for you. Keep that passion. But every once in a while, see if you can play a flam drag grid nice and slow. If you're a drum set person, you think rudiments are stiff and it's going to limit you. Watch the blue nuts or the blue coats play some accent tap with molar as smooth as you've ever seen in your life. So every discipline now has, has something that you can learn from. And if you're open to it, it doesn't mean you'll necessarily go into it full force, but it, w it might influence your career decision down the path. Yeah, the percussion landscape, who knows what it'll look like 10 years from now. It was 10, year, 10 years ago, it was different than it is now. <laughs> right. We just don't, right. we don't know what's going to happen. So you got to kind of keep an open mind and keep your options open sure. and, and don't be in a hurry. You know, I mean, it's going to get there when it gets there. Hey, well spoken, my friend. Hey, oh, it's, <laughs> it's time for the offbeat wacky question section. So we have oh four awesome questions that we have devised for Jeff Osdemore. Number one, <laughs> what's the name? of the most recent movie you have watched? Oh, God. That means I would have to find a time in my life where I watched a movie. Uh, uh, gosh, Kenan, I'm embarrassed. I, I can't think of a movie that I've seen or recently. Show. We'll, we'll take or show. show? Yeah, we'll take a show at this point. <laughs> okay. Uh, and we're grasping at straws. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going for anything. The listeners um, want to know. Listeners want to know. The listeners, yeah, I'm sure they're edge, the edge of their seats right now. Um, uh, show, show, show. Okay, this is a bit of a cop-out, but anything that is British and, and is a comedy, I am a huge fan of, like, the Ricky Gervais, just the, the, the kind of the dry, sarcastic British sense of humor. There's a bunch of them on Netflix, um, like uh, Rev, um, and a uh, little kind of offbeat smaller shows on Netflix that are British and are clever. I like anything like that. We'll take it. All right. Number two, <laughs> what is the last concert you attended? Last 
concert I attended. Um, let me think. Um, I'm going to say that uh, high school uh, level concerts don't count, and I'm going to say that drum corps performances don't count. Let's take this um, out. Can, yeah. can I throw out? Um, um, it wasn't necessarily the last one I attended, but probably the most impactful concert I attended. Would that be okay? Sure. Okay. Uh, I heard my wife and I heard the Berlin Philharmonic play in Berlin in their concert hall. Oh wow! And it was glorious. That that's one of my favorite brass sections in the world, uh, Chicago and Berlin. So getting to hear the Berlin brass section play in their home hall was particularly moving for me, for sure. That's amazing. That's definitely a good one. All right, what? <laughs> where is your favorite place to eat? Uh, my favorite place to eat is uh, anywhere that has. Thai food or Indian food. Uh, so I have several several favorite places uh, here in the Metroplex, the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, but of but of I would say equally important is anytime my mother in law cooks for me because she Ooh. is a fantastic cook and uh, Thai food is definitely her specialty. <laughs> and that, and that's a good answer too, by the way. All right, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Number four, final question: Who is your or who is your favorite sports team if you have one? Oh, I've, I've got to say um, that that's got to be FC Barcelona. So those of you that don't follow soccer, you might be scratching your heads right now. But I am a big, big soccer fan, and I love to play soccer. My favorite uh, player in the world is Lionel Messi, and he plays for FC Barcelona. And that is in uh, that is in Spain. So FC Barcelona is my favorite team. Man, you've got it. Well, you, when you hear this music... That means we've come to a conclusion in another episode of the Percussion <laughs> Studio Podcast. Once again, a huge thanks to our special guest, Mr. Jeff Osdemore. Woo! Please remember to stay tuned to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for any future information concerning Kay Wiley Publications and our podcast. Until next time, stay safe and keep on drumming.